0: Good morning. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 16. My name is Bob Burris. My wife and I attend. Uh, We've been here for about five and a half years. I'm a retired pastor, but I work for Training Leaders International. I just returned from South Africa and uh, will go to Minneapolis next week and then Sierra Leone to train pastors. So this morning, my goal is for you to see Jesus in five ways so that you can be more like him. The end result so that you will have the same kind of joy he had so that God will be glorified and the whole universe will look and say, what a great God we serve. That's what the church is about. So we want to see Jesus five ways. We're going to look at that through the lens of King David who received the covenant from God that the kingdom would not leave his house forever and ever and ever, which contains the promise of the coming king who reigns now, King Jesus. And so David shows us the way to Jesus and also shows us how to live for him. David was anointed king in 1 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, God promised him that he would build a house for him and it would last forever. This guides David's prayer and gets inside of him. But David sleeps with Bathsheba. He kills her husband. The child from the union dies. God forgives him but tells him there's going to be coming troubles in his house. And so David's own son rapes his sister, and then his son kills his son, just like Cain and Abel. And this son, Absalom, becomes the foil for who David is this morning. This son, Absalom, is trying to take over the kingdom, anoint himself the king, as Rick so wonderfully last week showed us. He is bitter, he is angry, he's self righteous. He has self-pity, and for Absalom, it just feels so good to feel so bad. By the way, I listened to that sermon twice. I was in Africa, but when I came back, I thought, wow, what a gift Rick is to us. Let's certainly pray for him as he's going to get on the plane and go with Asa to Japan for a couple of weeks to teach. So we want to begin with 2 Samuel 15. Just do a little review of a couple of verses and then move on to 16. But before we read God's word, let's pray together. Father, open our eyes. This is a supernatural book. Enlighten our eyes to see wonderful things from your law, to learn more about Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we work together this morning through your word, we would have joy, the joy of Christ to be better servants of yours. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. 2 Samuel 15 and verse 25. The king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. David is fleeing. Want to take the ark of God with him, kind of like they did in 1 Samuel, which was a disaster into the the, uh, battle with the Philistines. And David says, no. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back. He'll let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, if God says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. Those are strange words coming from David, aren't they? But he trusts God's goodness and his providential care. And so he, fleeing the city, chapter 16 and verse 1, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth met him. So Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, David's bosom buddy, who was in line to become king, but Jonathan believed in the anointing of God. And then when Jonathan is killed and Mephibosheth is crippled, David takes care of him. And Ziba is his servant. With a couple of donkeys, he comes to David, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, a skin of wine, all the provisions for the king. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. I'm here to help you. You're fleeing. I'm on your side. And the king said, and where is your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. He's lying. He's a false friend. Ziba is a fake friend of David's. And he lies. He's using the situation to manipulate and to get power for himself. And David is sucked into the lie. And David says to Ziba, behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. We all have friends like that. They're fake friends. They pretend they're on our side, but they're really not. I'm thinking of a fellow right now from a long, long time ago. He was a fake friend. He stabbed me in the back. I confronted him. He never repented. He kept doing it. Kept confronting him. And uh, sometimes that's just the way it is. It's a fake friend. Verse 5, when King David came to Bahurim, there came a man out of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Girah. And he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David, and all the servants of David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and his left. I mean, David had these mighty men with him. Mighty men. They're 24-hour fitness guys. They're CrossFit guys. These are beefy dudes who've gone into battle and the right by David and here Shimei is cursing and throwing stones at David and Shimei said as he cursed verse 7 get out get out you man of blood you worthless man the lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul not true a, 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 an absolute lie in whose place you have reigned and the lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom see your evil is on you for you are a man of blood he's an open lying Enemy of David and Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king. It's one of these dudes. You know, in my mind, you know, sometimes you go to the gym and there's these guys. There's these, you know, they got muscles, man. They're big. What I do sometimes, I go and make friends with them. Because you want to, the biggest guy, you need to be friends with. Just a little insurance policy, you never know. Anyway, David made friends with these big guys. He said to the king, "Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head." Zit. Kind of reminds you of when Jesus was being taken captive. What did Peter do? Peter came and he wasn't trying to take off Malchus's ear, I'll tell you the night, He was trying to take off his head. And if he'd succeeded in the head, which maybe might have been cool, Jesus could have picked up the head. Screwed it back on, you know. <laughs> Never known the difference. Anyway, he wants to take off his head. You can, you, can, you can see echoes here of Jesus. Remember, David is showing us the way to Jesus. But the king said, what I have to do with you, you sons of Zariah, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? Woe. Wait a second, dude, stop, because the Lord may have told this guy to curse me. So, who are we to say? And David said to Abishai and all to his servants Behold, my own son seeks my life. I can't even keep my household in order. How much more now may this Benjamite? Saul was a Benjamite. It's a tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Judah has taken over. He's jealous, he's angry. Accuses David of doing something he never did. Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. This is a problem, isn't it? You, you, read, you read the text sometimes, you get to these verses, and it's just like, ah, I don't know what this means. So we just, you know what we do. Sometimes we just read on. In, in, in narrative, but, but also in the epistles and all of the Bible, you get to a place you don't understand. And the reason you don't understand it because you don't have a theological box for it and it doesn't fit the way you believe. And so you just, I'm just going to go, keep going until I find something that I agree with. But do you see what David's doing? He said, the Lord has told him to curse me. And who are we to take his head off? Leave him alone. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, not only the wrong from Absalom, but the wrong from Shimei. So David, there's a sense in which he acknowledges it's wrong, but there's a sense in which he said, God has told him to do this. I think David has a healthy sense of the fact that when Nathan the prophet came to him, he said, David, you're, this, this is going to come back on you and your family and think, things are going to be bad for you. This is from the Lord. Seems like David has a really healthy sense of the fact that I'm not perfect and there's a real sense in which I'd... the Lord's in this. We're going to come back to this, but let's keep reading. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. Read Psalm chapter 3. Psalm Uh, In fact, just turning your Bibles to Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is um, written, of course, after this, but it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Do you see that superscription right above verse 1? That's in the original text, that's inspired text. You can see it's in the same font. Most scholars, Bruce Waltke and others, they, they argue very vehemently. This is part of the original text. It gives us an idea. Oh Lord, David prays, how, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying to my soul, there's no salvation for him and God, Shimei. <laughs> but you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord. He answered me from his holy hill. David obviously is praying. I lay down and slept. Remember 16 14, the king and all the people who were with him right weary, and there he refreshed himself. He refreshed himself in the Lord. He got a good night's sleep. How can you do this? You're fleeing from your son who wants to kill you? The Lord's refreshed me, sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you, you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The Psalms really help us with our emotions. Our emotions are fallen, so we read the Psalms because they, they kind of instruct us on how to feel and how to pray, because we just we don't know how to pray. The Psalms help us. Pray the Psalms. The Psalms will fix us, fix a lot of things about us that we're like, I mean, I'm not the way I want to be. Are you the way you want to be? Better, nobody better raise their hand. We aren't. We aren't. So we have the word. It's, it's a supernatural book. And the, and the Psalms, especially, they help us with our emotional life because emotional life is pretty important. All right, let's keep reading. Now, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. Ahithophel is a grandfather of Bathsheba. And we can, you can just fill in the blanks. You know, my granddaughter, anybody messes with my granddaughter. They got me to an answer for in and Ahithophel is the same way. When Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king. Now this is, this is a friend that's kind of a spy in Absalom's camp. And Absalom's like, uh, what are you doing here, dude? And Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this the, your loyalty to your friend? I thought you were David's friend, what are you doing? And, and look what Hushai says. Hushai, why do you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no. And I'm reading this. You know, Absalom's going to hear it one way. I'm I'm hearing it both ways. No. For whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be. David. (laughs) And with him I will remain. David. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Yeah, I'm going to serve you. (laughs) I'm going to give you some bad advice so my father can escape and come back and take the crown. Yeah, I'm going to serve you. And Absalom said to Ahithophel, so we have Ahithophel then, the, the, the grandfather guy who's Super, super smart, knows David well. Give your counsel, what shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, so everyone can see, and Absalom goes into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the counsel of Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Wow. I don't think I've really ever watched a soap opera, but this kind of has the feel of what I think they're about. This is, but David, David, stepping to the plate, isn't he? There's some, there's some stuff about David here. It appears to me That David is trusting in God's goodness and God's providential care, just like Jesus did. He trusted his father. He trusted the plan his father had for him and his providential care. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus said. And David appears to be the same way. He trusted God's goodness. In chapter 15 and verse 26, I'm going to let him do what seems good to him. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let God control my life. And at the end of His life, in Second Samuel twenty three five, when David, the sweet psalm of the sweet psalmist of Israel, speaks, he says, "His His covenant with me is ordered and it's secure, and so it is with us also." God had a plan for Jesus's life, and Jesus came and trusted His Father, and did everything His Father asked Him to do, and said everything and only what His Father said to do, and He trusted his life in the providential care of God, and David is doing the same, and so should we. You're not floating. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust him as your Savior, then you're under his providential care. He has a plan for your life. He has a wonderful plan for your life. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has before ordained that you should walk in them. In other words, he cares for you. He loves you. He's going to be good to you. You get up in the morning. What do you have for me, Lord? And your life becomes a exciting discovery every day of God's providential care and goodness. That's number one. I got remember I have five things. That's number 1 for us. And that cannot not give you great joy. To know he's 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 hovering. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor angels nor demons nor whatever he cares for you he wants to be good to you he loves to be good to you he loves to pour his grace out on you david knew that jesus knows it and we need to know it and it will work for our joy number two david knew his place in god's kingdom he knew that god had promised him that someone from his family would reign forever, and he also knew that he'd messed up and God was going to discipline him and some bad stuff was going to happen. He knew his role in God's kingdom. He wasn't a looky-loo. He was involved. He wasn't an armchair quarterback. He had a real relationship with God. He struggled through it, but he knew his role. So for us, I know it's very popular in America today to go to church where you, you, you walk in and you listen and you sing and you get stuff out of it and then you go. and you, that, That's not being part of the church. When you're, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the church. You're part of the church whether you know it or not and you're given a gift and part of that is, is working for the kingdom in the church. And using the leadership of the elders and the others to follow what God has given you as a passion to serve. So when I left being a pastor for 36 years and joined trained leaders, I needed to find a church. I found this church. We love this church. And we joined the children's ministry. And it, I, I tell you, it was wonderful for four years. So I just want to encourage you. I'm, I'm looking at folks out there. Um, on Wednesday nights, sometimes they need speakers for the kids, so I've, I've, I've been doing that a little bit this year. And it's just been wonderful. Let me tell you, the Awana people are the salt of the earth. They really are. I don't know if you're in Awana, but I, I come to, I hadn't been in this Awana, and I'm, I'm just talking with them. They love the kids. There's no better way to serve the body of Christ, then children's ministry, listen, worried about going to heaven? Hang out with the kids. They'll teach you how to get to heaven. That's pretty much what Jesus said, isn't it? Unless you become like children, you're not going to get to go to heaven. So listen, there, there's, there's a dual thing happening here, okay? You're figuring out these kids and what it is Jesus is talking about. So you get to heaven it's just a lot of fun, and and the last thing they always tell on their parents, they have they have no filters. You know, they come and they say things, and I see some of you people out there are going, yep, yep, that's right. Uh, it doesn't have to be children's ministry. You know, I've encouraged people just to come and help set up on Sunday morning, work with these fine young men who come, and just volunteer your time. Do, just do something. Don't be a hanger on. Don't be a looky loo. It'll give you great joy. Know your role in his kingdom. Meet with, you know, ministry leaders or whatever and figure it out. But don't be just a person who comes in and goes. That, that's not going to work for your joy. And remember I said, 2 Corinthians one i I'm working together with you for your joy. David knew his place in God's kingdom. And that was the driving force in his life. I, I think I've known my place in God's kingdom or had a pretty good idea since uh, about the age 20. And I, I haven't veered from it, and it's been great. It's been good. I, it gives me joy. God may change that, and that's okay. But when you know his role, it's just, it's just the best, isn't it? Some of you out there, you know what I'm talking about. You're in the place. You're in, I see some nodding heads. You're in your place. So find a place to serve and um, get going. Number three. Jesus knew his role in the kingdom too. <laughs> he really knew his role. So did David and so should we. Number three, stop drawing hard lines between good and evil. It is, it is a disease today in politics, in relationships, on the internet, the social media thing. There's, there's this camp over here and this camp over here. And it Whatever camp you're in, you look at the other camp and you just say, oh, they're so bad. Everything about them is horrible, everything. So they, they can't even order the right food at the restaurant. They can't even, you know, even the way they smile irritates you. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You, you've determined that this is a bad person, and so they can't do anything right. When President Obama was president, Not a lot of friends, they didn't like him. Um, And so I I did this experiment. So I I would say, hey, you know, I think he's a pretty good father. You know, it seems like he, I tried all kinds of things with all kinds of people to say something positive about the man, and they, they were going to paint him in every way as evil. And no, we have to stop doing that. We, we fall into that trap, and we become these negative judgmental Pharisees. We think we're so righteous. Look, look what happens to David here. In fact, turn, turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. I'm going to show you what happens to David. He sins with Bathsheba, and then Nathan the prophet comes, confronts him. And this is another psalm where we know exactly the setting Psalm 51, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And, and you know, as you read that text in chapter um, 12, I think it is, Nathan comes to him and he just says, you're forgiven. It's just like, wait a second, he just had a guy killed and slept with his wife, and, and you're forgiven just like that? This is a little bit of the backstory. Have mercy on me, O God. David is broken for his sin and pleads the mercy of God. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity. And it just, it goes on and on. But, but look at verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. My joy and gladness has gone. You've broken my bones Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's lost all his joy because he hasn't repented of his sin, he hasn't dealt with his sin. Notice what he says next in 13. Then I will treat transgressors your ways and sinners will return to thee. You know what he's saying is? I lost all my joy. I'm living the Christian life. Got all this sin, breaking my bones. I'm not happy. I'm a, a miserable person. Nobody's going to come to me because I, I don't have a gentle and a humble spirit. I'm holding on and and nobody's learning about Jesus from me, because. and then he's broken, he confesses his sin, and he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of what it means to be forgiven and what it means to be in fellowship with you so that others may come to know you. I think this is a huge problem in the evangelical church in America. We've forgotten how to repent. And we've forgotten that our role as a church is to spread the gospel everywhere we go. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Matthew 4, 19. He says it in Mark, he says it in Luke, and at the end of John, he says, as a father has sent me, so send I you. The calling of a Christian is to be a disciple of Christ who fishes for men, but it's not going to happen unless our sins are forgiven, unless we have the joy that comes from knowing our sins are forgiven. It's not going to happen. But look at the Beatitudes, starting with five. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have to recognize your poverty of spirit, your sinfulness, and you mourn over your sin. The second Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, not only for their own sin, but also for the sins of others. When our knee-jerk reaction, we see the sins of others, is to condemn and be a Pharisee and to point their sin out and not actually seriously mourn for their sin, we've got a problem. We don't rejoice in others' sin, we mourn for their sin. And then when we have mourned and we recognize our poverty of spirit, that Jesus, that God did not spare his own son, he delivered him up for us all, and he saved us. We've mourned for our sin. We mourn for their sin. Now look at the third beatitude. These, these come in progression. Blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You become gentle with other sinners because you know your sin. And you, you, you've, you've received the joy of being forgiven. You've received the joy of the Holy Spirit. And you receive the joy of everything that means. And then you just, you just have to tell other people about it. You can't keep it inside of you. It's, it's so wonderful. But there's no shortcuts to this. Uh, and, and you know how the Beatitudes end here. Um, verse 10, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, sheme, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Zeba, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you so number four number three stop drawing such hard lines jesus was a friend to sinners wasn't he come to me all you are weary and heavy laden come we must be a let it go kind of person we must be forgivers and the only way to be a forgiver is to go to god and confess and seek his mercy and his grace or bitterness will grow deep. Yesterday, um, you know, I love Roundup. When I was a kid, I always had to go out and weed, and all the weeds always came back. It was just a pain. But now I fill up my little one-gallon thing of Roundup. It says three ounces. I put four ounces and pump the thing up, you know. And I kill weeds. I love it. But yesterday, I didn't have time to do that. I'm going to be gone. So I, was, I decided to go out with my screwdriver and do some weeding. I went out I'm pulling these weeds, you know, and I get to this one weed, man, it had a root about as thick as my pinky finger. It was like, okay, okay, it, uh, it, we're going to war here. So, you know, I started digging there. I, I got like, I don't know how long that thing was. It was long. And I didn't get the whole thing. It broke off. It's going to be back in three weeks when I get home. It's coming back. Listen, Unforgiveness and bitterness will do that to you. It's going to grow deep. It's going to affect everything. You're just going to have to work on it. It is a war. Now, there are folks, and I mentioned this one person. I'm thinking of him again right now. Um, I've confronted him. I've talked to him about his backbiting and his lies, and he never repented, refuses to repent. And um, a couple of years ago, he wanted to be friends again. And um, I think I've forgiven him. But you don't put yourself in a place where he can do the same thing again to you. That would, that would kind of be stupid, OK? So forgiveness doesn't always mean a reconciliation. Luke 17 says, if your brother sin, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. But there's been no repentance. It's been a long time. It's been a lot of effort and so I I don't I don't think about it. I don't ruminate over the sin. I don't think of ways to get him back. I'm just it's we're we're it's and and unless he comes to me and says, Bob, you know what? You're absolutely right. But I think it's okay to let those things go. And I know some of us have had people who have sinned against us in the most grievous ways I don't even want to explain. But you know what I'm talking about? sometimes it's, it's not always neat and clean. However, at some point, you need to learn and get the spiritual strength to let it go. You don't put yourself in the same situation again. Be a let it go kind of person because that weed will grow deep and it will grow hard and it, it will rob you of all your joy. It will rob you of your joy. And number five, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is a fabulous section. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading with verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust servants. You be subject to your unjust masters. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, His providential care... One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten it, you endure it? No, no credit. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is David. He's suffering and he's enduring it. It's good in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. This is our calling at Christians, as Christians, to suffer unjustly because Christ suffered for us unjustly. Listen. People have done $5 worth of sin against you in this life in comparison with the trillions of dollars that Christ paid for you. There's no comparison. Read Matthew 18, the servant. His master forgave him millions, and then somebody owed him 50 bucks, and he had the guy thrown in prison. Our salvation depends upon it. At the, end of, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he says, if you don't forgive others, the Lord won't forgive you. In other words, if you truly know what it means to be a Christian, you truly come to God with your sin for forgiveness, it's axiomatic that you become a forgiver. And we just need to be reminded of that because we're, we're just apt to grab onto things. Let it go. Let it go. Work for reconciliation, but in some cases it's not possible. You just, but you, you can't let it eat you alive Keep your eyes on Jesus. You, you, you're, going to, you're either going to get bitter through these struggles or you're going to get better. And I, I think I've mentioned this before. I, I, I do this in Africa too. I said, how many of you know an old bitter person? I got all these hands that come up, you know, and you're with them all they, We just want to recount all the things people have done wrong against them. I don't want to be around those people. My my wife's mother um, is in a care facility across the street from us. We have her over often she's the sweetest nicest she she can't she can't remember all the bad things she doesn't remember it's just she's she's a true christian she's a true Christian. Bitterness will grow deep just like a weed um, and you, you you just have to let it go. Number five, keep your eyes on Jesus. Here it is. Let's keep reading. For to this you've been called, 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin. We can't say that about ourselves. I can't say that. I'm the worst sinner I know. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. This, this, rem- this is David. He committed Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You can do that. There's a just judge. Vengeance is mine. He's going to take care of it. Leave it alone. Confess your sins. Let it go. Enjoy the joy of knowing Jesus and that he will not hold back anything from you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness keep your eyes on jesus we are never more like jesus than when we forgive i'm going to close with the story i got i got permission from my son michael to tell this story it's a great story i love it you know how it is when you get old. You just tell the same stories over and over again. But this one's really cool. We're in this little church in the middle of nowhere. And Michael, I think, is five or six or something like that. And he was in Sunday school. And his Sunday school teacher was pretty, you know, harsh kind of guy. And I, th- I think his Sunday school teacher thought that our discipline of our son, you know, the pastors never, never raised their kids the correct way, just so you know. Anyway. Michael did something wrong in church, and he got in trouble for it. But the punishment was, was over the top. It was too much. It was like, "Really? You're going to do that to this poor kid. He's just being, a, you know a kid. They're, they do stuff. It's fine. I love hanging out with sinners just like me, don't you? Kids are great. Have I already mentioned sign up for children ministry? It'll make you a happy person. It will. It will make you a happy person. So, anyway, it was unjust, and, and I'm going to cut the story short because first hour, I went too long, and I'm going too long again, but that's okay. And so, uh, he comes back, and he's, you know, he's just like, this. He's, what does he say? He's, he's saying, balonies, balonies, balonies. What is he talking about? He, he knew that the punishment from his Sunday school teacher was too much, and he, he knew it was baloney, but not just balonies, we're talking plural. Balonies, balonies, he says, balonies, balonies. So I got his permission this morning, and he said, I love that story, which, which shows me he's not harboring bitterness. Listen, when, when you're the kind of person that thinks about that spouse or that husband or wife or kid or grandparent or boss or whoever it is, who did this grievous thing about you, and you're sitting by yourself, and you're going, balonies, balonies, balonies. You're replaying, it's just not good. Be like Jesus. Be a forgiver. Restore restore the joy of my salvation. Deal with your own sin. Deal with your own sin and mourn over others, and then you'll be gentle with others. Be like Jesus, gentle and humble of heart. Sinners came to him. Sinners came to him. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you uh, for David. This section of Scripture is is mind-boggling to us, but um, Father, David recognized his sin. He recognized your call in his life. He recognized forgiveness and joy, and may we be the same way, and that you help us when we're wronged, that you restore to us the joy of our salvation when we have wronged, And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.